are in week four, last week of our ID series. Uh, and we started with the premise that if we know who we are, we will know what to do. And it's been a bit of a, a brief exploration. It's certainly not been um, massive and we could spend we could spend so much time looking at our identity and purpose and all that kind of stuff. But we tried to cover it in a couple of weeks and we first established um, our identity is actually who God wants us to be when we, we can walk around with so many labels in our lives that we get from ourselves. We can get them from our relationships. We can get them from our failures. And actually, we end up carrying all these labels of who we are or who we think we are. And we learn and discovered that actually when we come face to face with Jesus, none of that actually matters. It's who he sees us as and we are his children. We also spent some time with Peter and we learned that we are to be a royal priesthood. The word priest was also Latin. Uh, the, the meaning was to be a bridge. And so we are called to be a bridge between God and those people that we are around and between those people and God. We are the bridge between them. And so that, that means that we have to live a life accordingly to that challenge and to that call. And then from there, and understanding who we are, we sat with Jesus a couple of weeks ago and we followed his words to love one another, a theme that you will find flows out through the whole of Scripture, but very uh, a lot in the New Testament. And our, it, it's, our, our faith is relational. It's meant to be lived out in relationship, in community. We cannot love God and yet not love people. And yet not love people. Does that make sense? Good. Um, if we claim to love God but hate people, we're a liar. Scripture says we lie. We cannot, uh, we have to love people. It is relational. It's community. And so this morning, I want to wrap it up with a message that you will find in uh, the book of Micah. It's a well-known piece of scripture. And we're going to jump into chapter six. So if you've got your Bibles, you can open them, you can turn them on, you can do what you need to do, or you can look at the Sky Bible uh, behind me. And um, so we're going to be in the book of Micah. Um, it's page 655 in my Bible. I don't know what it's going to be in yours, um, but it might be right somewhere around there. But we're going to jump in. Micah was a prophet, as an Old Testament prophet. He was a preacher. He was called by God to speak over God's people. And you read this in this book. Micah is God speaking to Israel about who they are and what they are doing or what they're not doing. And as you go through the book, you realise that they are not being the people God wants them to be. Quite frankly, he's not happy with them. He's just not happy. The way that they're living, the things that they are doing and not doing. And so God calls Micah to speak. And, he, and Micah speaks in a context where there's no shortage of religion. Micah describes this widespread religiosity where people, especially the leaders, are making a public show of how religious they are, how great they are, how powerful they are. And they give a loud lip service to God and yet not really 
honour him. Some were just ripping people off for money all the time. Some of the leaders would perform on, on summons and given a large amount. They would speak on behalf of God. They would give people words that they wanted to hear for a few quid. Some of them were robbing the poor and the needy and the vulnerable and making themselves rich. And Micah was a messenger sent to proclaim God's judgment. And so let's jump into verse 1 in chapter 6. And it says this, listen to what the Lord says. So Micah is speaking, this is his book, but he is just the mouthpiece right now. He is the messenger, and what is about to come, from the, come out of his mouth is from the Lord. Stand up, plead my case before the mountains, let the hills hear what you have to say. So right now we're walking into a courtroom, okay? We like a courtroom drama, don't we? Perry Mason, Columbo, Agatha Christie, Midsummer Murders, Inspector Gadget. We like it, don't we? We like courtroom dramas. Can you feel the tension already? We like that bit of drama. Yahweh speaks and he orders the people of Judah to stand and present their case. So in this scenario, it's the people, Israel, who are bringing their case against God. Okay, They're prosecuting God. And that's what God wants. Or they, they're the people that they really have had an accident and they're going to court to sue. Have you had an accident? I've got a phone for you if you want to go. And up. But, that, but God is bringing, the people of Israel are bringing the complaint against God in this scenario. And it's like, it's like Israel are the ones making the complaint. They're moaning, they're whinging all the time about God. And God say, okay, we're going to set up a courtroom and I want to hear from you exactly what I have done wrong. Does that make sense? I want to hear from you, what's your boggle? What's going on in your life? Why are you whinging? So Israel is to bring their complaint against God to the mountains. Solid, steadfast mountains. They've seen it all. They are the jurors in this scenario. Good, solid mountains. They've been there from the start. And then he says this, hear you mountains, the Lord's accusation. Listen, you everlasting foundations of the earth. So as members of the jury, the mountains are to decide who has broken the promise, who has broken the covenant. It's God creation. They've witnessed it all. They haven't missed a thing. And now they are to listen and to decide. For the Lord has a case against his people. He is lodging a charge against Israel. So Yahweh makes it known. God makes it known. Bring your case. Bring your case. But I'm going to defend it. Whatever you've got against me, I'm going to defend and the Lord is prepared. So the truth is, it's the people, God's people, who have broken the promise. But the covenant is still there. The promise is still there. He says, my people, what have I done to you? How have, you, how have I burdened you? Answer me. So bring your case. Tell me what I've done exactly. What have I done that burdens you and has broke the promise? 
Has he broken the promise? Has God broken the promise? Has he been unfaithful? Has he strayed? Or is it the other way round? He says, I brought you out of Egypt and I redeemed you from the land of slavery. I sent Moses to lead you and Aaron and Miriam. My people remember what Balak, king of Moab, plotted and what Balaam, son of Bor, answered. Remember your journey from Shittim to Gilgal that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. So God begins to make his case. And immediately he reminds them of all that he's done and he starts with the Exodus. Remember, he's saying, this is where you've come from. This is who you are. This is what I did for you. He brings them out and he sets them free, redeeming them from slavery. And they are reminded of this. And they will know every act and every miracle and every intervention by him just saying, I've brought you out of Egypt. I gave you great leaders, he says, Moses, Miriam, Aaron. He only speaks of three, but we know there are so many more. And then he says, he he reminds them about Shittim and Gilgal. Shittim was Israelites' last campsite before, before crossing the Jordan River. So they were at Shittim. And then he brings them to Gilgal. And Gilgal was the first campsite after crossing the Jordan River. And so he's reminding them what he did at the River Jordan. Without me, you wouldn't have been able to cross. I was there for you, I provided for you, and here I am. He stopped the waters so that the people of Israel could come into the promised land. He said, I gave you it all. I gave you it all, and you're winding against me. I gave you the promised land. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? You will notice now there's a change in language, there's a change in direction, there's a change of voice. This isn't God speaking now, but this is the people speaking against God. There's a change of voice. And if you notice, there's no kind of, Israel are not suddenly going charging to bring complaint against God anymore. They're going to go, what can I bring? There's no argument. Yahweh brings his case and the response is, what do we need to do? Not, oh, you did this, this and this. It's like, God's got their attention straight away and they're like, actually, yeah, you're right. So what do we need to do? How can we, your people, respond to you? Do we? Can we give you our finest offerings? Can we uh, uh, give you all that we have? There's uh, lots and lots of exaggeration and it's a bit over the top, but you get the point. And if you read through the book of Micah, you will see that through it all, the people are giving empty offerings. God's not happy with all that they've been doing, with the way that they have been worshipping or choosing to worship. He's not, he's not happy with their empty religious worship. And they respond with more. What else can we do? What else can we give you? Nothing has changed. How can we get ourselves out of this as easy 
as possible. They talk about the offering of the firstborn. It's not exactly what God requires, but they're like, how far do we need to go with this? They know that God isn't going to accept such a thing, but this empty, ritualistic lifestyle is all they know. But if we jump back to this for a moment, it kind of reminds me of moments where I'm on my own with my children. I can work out what my children want nine times out of ten. Sam and Zach, my two boys, if there's a problem, feed them. Happy. They get on with it. They're happy. They get off. They start fighting about an hour later. Give them a bit of food. They're happy. The girls, however, for me, a bit of a puzzle. And, and I, 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 I've been with B on my own, and she's a two and a half wonderful little angel. She's angelic. She's beautiful. She absolutely is. But there's times when I'm running around the house with her, providing for her, playing with her, doing all that I can, and she'll just stand in front of me and burst into tears. And I run and get some food, and I play a game and try to do a silly song and dance, and it's just not happening. And, and all that I can say to her is, what do you want from me? I don't know if you've ever been there with someone in your life where you, you've done everything that you can imagine and you're like, what do you want from me? Been there? Well, this is the people to God. This is their heart. What do you want from us? And they give off these massive lists. Israel are at that point. They're crying out, what do you want from us? Or we could put it another way. How do we live as your people? What is it that you require of us? And then we get quite a famous verse that we, perhaps if you've been around church circles for some time, you will know. And it's this in verse 8. And again, the language has changed, the voice has changed. This is God again speaking. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. The voice has changed. This is what God requires of you. Actually, it's the same thing that he's shown you before that you will see running through the Old Testament. What does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. The focus is not what, not what they can do as acts of sacrifice, but on inward attitudes that flow out from the heart and show themselves amongst God's people. One scholar described this verse as the finest summary of the content of practical religion to be found in the Old Testament. This is what it's about. This is everything that God wanted of his people in the Old Testament, to really live God's way. To do that, we must live in unity towards others around us and towards him and it is defined and shaped by these three commands. To act justly. God stands for the defenceless. God is a just God. He stands for those that are poor because he is a just God. He is beside the vulnerable because he is a just God. Justice requires 
witnesses, to be honest, to be impartial. It requires fair treatment in the courts for all people, but especially for people who have limited resources and cannot defend themselves. He stands towards widows and orphans and vulnerable people groups. And to act justly means we don't just get to judge others. We leave that to God. We've not been made a judge. We're not God. But when we see injustice, and it's all around us, it should move us, compel us to want to act, to change the injustice, and to see something happen. And there is plenty of things going on out there right now that need fighting for. There's plenty of people right now that need help. You turn on the news and at any point you will see the injustices of this world. Maybe in this season that we're in, it's become a lot more prevalent. I don't know. But there seems to be a massive rising. Racism, child poverty, homelessness, abortion. The list goes on. The message version says, do what is fair and just to your neighbour. And it's certainly important to treat others fairly, but this verse goes further. It's not just the idea of treating others' others' rights personally. The idea is promoting justice. It's a concern for justice in all of society, to work for right relationships and justice for all, especially the vulnerable. The issue with justice is how those who have power and privilege Treat those who don't. Locally, right now, people on the streets are getting fined for asking for help. I think it's disgusting. Where is the justice in that? Nationally, globally, there's other things going on. And the reason why this is so important is because when you read the Bible, God always takes the side of the poor and the needy and the widow and the orphan. God is a God of justice who pleads the case for the poor and requires his people to do so as well. To love mercy. Mercy is that Hebrew word hesed. And it's got a variety of meanings. Loving, kindness, mercy, faithfulness, love. Like the Greek word agape, in the New Testament. Hesed is a word that involves action. You have to do something with it. Kindness or love expressed through action rather than just feelings. Mercy goes with justice. Mercy is reaching out to the broken. Justice is going to the root of the problem so it doesn't happen again. To stop people being broken. Loving mercy means that we walk alongside those who suffer, showing faithfulness, compassion, generosity. It doesn't just mean that showing mercy, it means loving it, moved by it, making it something that's what we always do. Mercy isn't deserved. We don't look at some people and say, you don't deserve mercy. We give them mercy as freely as it's been given to us. God is a God of mercy who reaches out his hand to each one of us and we should be the same. And to walk humbly with God. If we are to
please God. We are to walk with God. God is significant, must be significant part of our, di- uh, our lives every day. He's our constant companion. He's our faithful friend. We must allow God to lead us. Walk humbly with your God includes those things that we normally think of in our relationship with God. Intimacy, cultivating a relationship, staying attentive to God's will, putting ourselves in that secondary position to him. God is first. It's about being deliberate, about pursuing ongoing spiritual growth, discipleship, and becoming more like Jesus. That's what he calls us to do. A person who is humble is not arrogant, is not boastful. A person who walks humbly with God understands that everything he or she possesses is a gift and is God's and is there to be used for his kingdom. A person who walks humbly with God will try and determine where God would have them go rather than trying to expect God to match them, to set their own direction based on their own wisdom and not his. And in these three commandments, there is a clear direction of living towards others and towards God, what we saw last week. We are to be a people that lives for others, always ready to help and to serve whilst walking humbly with God, constantly allowing God to shape us. The first day that we put our hands up and say, I want to be a Christian, we're saying, help, help God, we need your help, help me. We're allowing God to shape us every single day and they are so intertwined. The more that we walk with God, the more we will be, should be willing to serve people rather than offer God thousands of rams and your purest olive oil. Micah calls us to offer a thousand daily acts of love to each other and to the world that God loves. We cannot play church or try and frame our religious belief, our religious life as a game where we tick off the box and keep God in check and doing duties that please him. He's not happy with our empty worship. God doesn't want a specific type of offering. He wants a specific type of person. And he's calling us to be that people. This should be our DNA. This should be our DNA. And I am moved more than ever to begin to make it our DNA in the weeks and months ahead. For us, as Hope Community Church, you will begin to see more things popping up that align ourselves with these three things, there will be opportunities for all of us to get involved. And he calls us to reach out to people, to serve them, to build bridges, not walls, and to seek God's righteousness lived out in this world. We have things happening on our doorstep that need addressing and things going on around the world that we can get involved into. We're called to be in the heart of Winton and in the world living out the knowledge of who he has called us to be. This is our identity. This is who we are. When you know who you are, you will know what to do. Father, we thank you that you call us. We have a mission. We have a calling. We have a mandate. 
to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. Help us, Lord, to see the injustices of this world and to move from a place of compassion, from a stirring of our hearts, Lord, to be and do all that we can be and do for what is in front of us. Thank you, Lord, that you've called us here, Hope Community Church, situated where we are in the heart of Winton, to serve these streets, to serve this community. And Lord, over the next weeks and months, we want to be your hands and feet. We pray, Lord, for opportunities. We, play, we pray for resources. We pray, Lord, that we would know who we are, children of God, called to be bridges, to love one another, and see your kingdom come. Lord, it's our heart's cry, and it's our prayer, that we would see your kingdom come in this place. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening and being patient.